So as usual, I wake up at odd times of the night with, you know, who knows what it is, whether I'm thinking about work or thinking about something I need to do, or it's just insomnia. Okay. Insomnia. And so I feel, I feel my bouts of insomnia with, (laughs) what do they call it? Doom scrolling. Doom scrolling when you're just scrolling along to read the bad news or whatever it is. Um, But I happened to be scrolling on LinkedIn very early one morning, and I saw that the U.S. Surgeon General had dropped a new study or a new document uh, that really frames workplace mental health and well-being. And I start kind of scrolling and, you know, seeing what this is all about because I'm thinking to myself, oh, this is kind of cool. You know, it's rising to the level of the Surgeon General that mental health and well-being is a thing especially after the pandemic. So yay for that. But then when I start looking at the framework, I'm thinking to myself, ooh, this deserves analysis and conversation here because I see what I would interpret as diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, but it's very veiled and kind of snuck in there. Like like you just kind of backdoor in this information into a larger document and expecting it, it's almost like putting the, the medicine in the applesauce type of thing like the boys like. You know, it's it's something that might not be as palatable to a lot of the world, but we're sneaking it in there with some other things that are palatable. So I thought I'd bring up the link, Lisa. And yeah, I wouldn't say we're experts mm-hmm. on this mm-hmm. yet, but based on the visuals, this is interesting. And I think it can apply to what we do in endurance sport for sure. Yeah. And as per usual, I'm behind the times and was like, what did the Surgeon General do? So um, I definitely need to be educated on this too. And I do think just based on what I you have shared and what I have looked at, that it's applicable to endurance sports. So let's dive in and have a chat about it. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. I may be the first, but I know I won't be the last. Create a little club, do something. Just do something that's, if it's not there already, create it. Be the leader. If you can knock down that barrier and be the first, it makes it a lot easier for other people to come through without having to go through a lot of those things. Is women supporting women? So we not only have to support each other, but we have to decide that we're going to choose solidarity and act on it. The Outspoken Women in Endurance Sports Summit brings women together to build connections, increase and sustain women's leadership in the industry, and drive forward equity and inclusion. In the past, we focused on women in triathlon, but this year, we are expanding our scope and including all endurance sports with a key focus on business. Learn strategies to help you grow your own business, ways to build your influence and career in the endurance industry, and leave with a network of other women committed to helping you succeed. Join us at the Outspoken Summit from November 11th to November 13th in Tempe, Arizona. Visit OutspokenSummit.com or click the link in the show notes for more information and get your ticket today. That's OutspokenSummit.com. The Outspoken Summit, 
Build your brand, grow your influence, drive your impact. Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to challenge yourself, Orca has fit-for-purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA, and when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account. Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water. It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items at orca.com, use the code IRONWOMEN15. So Lisa, I looked at the Surgeon General's website as soon as I saw the LinkedIn post from a connection. I can't even remember who the person was. And so I went to the Surgeon General's website and it's a very robust website, a what, 30 page PDF on this particular topic. And of course, myself being someone who really appreciates visuals, the first thing I saw was kind of like this Pentagon visual, if you will, where it has five major points. And I'm like, ooh, this is very interesting. Let's take a look at what these elements are. And so uh, we'll definitely drop the link to this document in the show notes, but the overarching ideas are five different ideas. Work-life harmony, mattering at work, opportunity for growth, protection from harm, and then my personal favorite thus far, connection and community. And you'll understand this much better once you see the visual. But Lisa, I really thought this was interesting because the first thing that I thought about was, oh my goodness, this is like the 2022 version of Maslow's hierarchy of needs for you know everybody, not just the workplace, but for everybody. And I wonder if this is really highlighted, not because this wasn't relevant before the pandemic, but because of the pandemic, now this needs to become more of a priority. And that's why it elevated to the level of the Surgeon General's office. I don't know. It's just my conspiracy theory. But what do you think based on our quick scan of, of what they've dropped here? Yeah, I think that you might be right. I mean, the intro to the fancy website says we can build workplaces that are engines of well-being, showing workers that they matter, that their work matters, and that they have the workplace resources and support necessary to flourish. And I'm thinking actually about the, um, oh, I'm totally going to mess this up, but they're the uh, train-related strikes. Um Yes, yes. And I can't remember whether it's drivers or just broadly railroad workers. Um, but one of the sticking points around them not um reaching any kind of deal with their employers, uh, you know, as unions, I think there's five or six different unions, is that they are not given sick leave, right? So during the pandemic. Oh, wow they were not able to take sick leave or there was just some really convoluted structure of points or something. I can't, it was just real messed up. I've never heard anything like it before, but they currently are still in negotiations. And part of why the um, deal was 
turned down by one of the unions that Biden had negotiated or someone from Biden's office had negotiated was because of the sick leave piece, because they still weren't getting paid sick leave. And so when you think about this Surgeon General piece and thinking about showing workers that they matter, that what they do matters, and that they have resources and support to flourish, feels kind of like giving you paid sick leave is pretty central to that. So, you know, in that sense, Mm -hmm. you know, I wonder about the timing of this in relation to that. I also think that perhaps a lot of salaried employees who work in um, employment that has health insurance, that does provide sick leave, that have all of those um, supports in place, take for granted and assume perhaps that everyone has that when really they don't. And so this potentially could be driven by or aimed at workers who were most detrimentally affected by the pandemic, which we know are women, women of color, low wage workers. Um, single parents, right? Because they have the least support and the least affirmation that they matter and that their work matters. Mm. So that's just, it's it's an interesting timing piece, I think. Yeah, you know, I I think you're right. And, you know, with the timing piece of things, you know, think about everything that communicates that someone matters at work, you know? So for example, yes, definitely that sick leave time for uh, people who birth children, the birth parent, you know, showing that they can have that time off and have it paid rather than having one of the most important times of your life being a time where yes, you're bittersweet because you're, adding to your family, but yet you don't know how you're going to pay for it, or you're going to have to really do some, uh, some accounting acrobatics to make sure that you can make ends meet at one of the most expensive times of one's life. So, you know, all of those things matter. And Lisa, it's reminding me of a report that I have been working on for another client in particular, where they talk about a number of different policies that demonstrate that an organization is truly inclusive um, and equitable in many different ways. And there's so many of them that would fall under uh, into this Pentagon here that the U.S. Surgeon General has dropped around mattering. So, you know, we've talked about these before together, Lisa, around, of course, definitely, you know, it's it goes without saying some type of diversity and inclusion policy. Um, but also flexible working policies, work from home policies. What does that look like? Um, the work life, uh, they've mentioned harmony here. The language has evolved from work life balance to work life integration, now to work life harmony. Well, do you have a policy on any of that? Probably not. Um, that demonstrates that someone matters. Um, of course, bullying, harassment, discrimination obviously has been one that's uh, been given attention. It can always be given more. Um, but I'm also thinking too, Lisa, some of the other ones that have been really prominent around the globe. So for example, a mental health and well-being policy for an organization or a group or a club. And another one that I'm really digging into um, that's become more prevalent since 2021 a menstruation and menopause policy, how to write one, how to pull it together. And I'm literally scratching the surface, but that was one that really demonstrated that people mattered. And of course, the way that it was written. So for example, I looked at a website where 
uh, it gave kind of iterations of uh, those menstruation and menopause policies where originally it only applied to women, then it made it more inclusive. So it was just people and how the language changed. So I, I think the Surgeon General has uh, cracked open or, or maybe this is a I don't know, maybe this is an iceberg of things that can fit under there because Lisa, how many times have you and I complained to say, yeah, it, when I was working, I desperately needed some type of menstruation policy because of the physical effects. I mean, it, it was equal to a sick day, which also was not paid for when I was working for someone else. So yeah, I think the, the Surgeon General, I'm, I'm hoping that the Surgeon General has crafted this in such a way that it is very encompassing um, because I think that's how it's written, but it's also going to be interesting to see how many people say, you know, like you mentioned, you know, who's going to scream socialist when they read this, this is going to be interesting. Yeah. I think that this, the socialist screaming is going to come because it's all centered around worker voice and equity. And so it's frustrating because if you are an employer Surely taking care of your employees is critical for success in your business, right? And yet that feels like a afterthought in a lot of places where the customer comes first. But if you have sick, angry, um, hurt, you know, harmed employees, then your customers are not going to get the service that they need. So I know we've talked about this before. I think it was Richard Branson or someone, I can't remember, but said something like, really employees are your customers because if you treat your employees well, they'll ultimately treat your customers well and your business will grow. So that mattering at work, I think, is a really key piece here. But the worker voice and equity, which I think is important, um, is definitely going to probably send some people running. And I actually think it's pretty bold that they did that. Because I think they have omitted the specific language of diversity, equity, and inclusion in their kind of um, high-level model because of what they probably anticipate will be then resistance to the model. But then you just throw yes. in their work of voice and equity, and I'm like, oh, well, you just, yeah, now you're going to get pushback around that too, which is oh, annoying. Yes. Um, but, of course, it will happen. I mean, you know. Yeah. When we think about endurance sport, if we think about it broadly, it's not a workplace, right? But it's a community. It's an industry. It is a right. umbrella under which many different people sit. And so I actually think this workplace well-being and kind of mental health focus could be a really useful framework to mm. think about how endurance sport collectively as an industry could do better for both their own employees, but also athletes that participate. What do you think about that? Oh, well, yes, I, I have to agree with you because like I mentioned, you know, I feel like this is the 2022 version of Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Now, let me put a little asterisk beside there that remember Maslow did their research and their work based on Native American communities. So let me just be clear on that. But as we build upon the foundation that Native Americans have provided for us, if you go from the Native American concept of the TP and the community actualization, 
then Maslow moved over to the hierarchy of self-actualization, esteem, love, belonging, safety, all the physical stuff, you know, food, clothing, shelter. You can clearly see how it directly connects to this worker voice and equity model and how it could really apply to any organization, culture, division, group, et cetera, because who doesn't want these things? You know, if you're in a, um, let's say you're in an, in an endurance sport business, club, organization, group, you, you gather with your friends for a run at the coffee shop every Saturday morning, you would still want every single one of these pieces to apply. You would want to be protected from harm, safety and security. You would want the opportunity for growth because we are all about accomplishment and, and data points and numbers and how can we do better, right? Mattering that this means something to you, what you accomplished in your training and your races and so forth, it matters to you. Um, I've been in situations before where, you know, ran a full marathon, came home and, you know, there was, it really wasn't a priority in my family. It's like, oh, you did one of those things again. Okay, great. I'm like, um, hello, I ran further than you drove today. This matters to me. Um, so mat that mattering piece, of course, the work-life harmony piece, because a lot of us utilize endurance sport to find that harmony from whatever else we do. Uh, we also know by the data that we are very high achieving folks, y'all. You know, we have high pressure jobs. We have all these other things that give us the privilege of seeking work-life harmony from whatever we do for our day-to-day. -day. And then that last piece of community and connection, all of that applies to every single yeah. endurance yeah. sport, mm -hmm. community, group connection that I've ever had since beginning with just kind of walking along for a mile every day. So I just don't see how it couldn't relate to what we do as endurance sport. Every, every area of it, I think, connects. Um, yeah. But Lisa, you know, here, here's the question, though. How do we make sure that we make it clear to folks that this can be a priority? And then um, this goes back to our chronic question on this podcast, Lisa. These are important. Now, what are some tangible ways of making it happen? Right. Um, so how right, do we, right. you know, give suggestions on how to protect people from harm? Because harm comes a lot of different ways. It's not just the dog chasing you on the bike. It's also the harm of someone being shocked that a um, a larger body is extremely fast on a bike and the microaggression that plays out in that conversation, for example. So, you know, I think there are some things that folks can do to address these areas. Um, I know we can't give them all in, you know, 30 minutes on a podcast, but I do think there's some concrete things that we could suggest around these areas. Um, yeah. But again, th this is, I, I just don't see how it can apply, Lisa. What do you think? Yeah. And, um, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking these would actually be really great values for an organization and uh, and or a club to adopt. So I'm thinking Ooh, about, yeah. you know, every organization, most clubs will have mm -hmm. some version of a mission, vision and values. Right. Yes. And, um, particularly mm -hmm. the, non the nonprofits that exist in endurance sport, which are many clubs you know, they likely mm -hmm. will have um, bylaws, they'll have values, right? Mm -hmm. And so thinking mm -hmm. about operationalizing these 
in that context, right? So you could have the value of protection from harm, but what does that actually look like in the context of your organization, of your club, right? So you write that into the bylaws, you develop a policy around it. Um, oh, and- yes elevate it as a value so that mm-hmm. it isn't just lip service. It isn't just words on a page, right? There's actually kind of an actionable plan for what that mm-hmm. could look like. And you integrate it into the very being of the organization of the club. And like, this is what we stand for. Um, mm-hmm. You know, and instead of centering worker voice, right, it would be centering athletes' voices and equity. So mm-hmm. I certainly could name a couple of organizations in endurance sport that might, might, <laughs> do well to center athlete voice and equity. Um, Mm -hmm. But that would be one tangible thing is, you know, if you review your mission mission and values through strategic planning as an organization, or if you are a club and your board um, goes through some process of reviewing it, then you could Mm. team and the information Mm -hmm. they have, and you could adapt it Mm -hmm. as a structure for your organization. Mm. Oh yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So that, yeah, that would definitely kind of frame the strategic plan because what I love about what you just mentioned is that the, the visual framework, again, is just a framework. So it's, it's almost like us saying, Lisa, we're going to Hawaii. Well, we didn't say how, we didn't say how long it's going to take. We didn't put any metrics to it. We're just saying we're going to Hawaii. And so that means that this can apply to organizations because I think all organizations can ascribe to these five areas, but you get to determine the how in your strategic planning and you get to determine what measures of success look like within your organization. And, you know, along those lines, though, Lisa, I think what's really important about this, too, is that, again, there may be things because I I believe that organizations shouldn't always reinvent the wheel or start from scratch. There may be things within your organization that you're already doing that fit into one of these five areas, maybe even plugging those activities and so forth in first and then seeing where you have a gap. And that is kind of the new frontier for your endurance sport sport organization, business club, et cetera, is that, you know, let's say you're already protecting people from harm because you all you already already have SAG or, you know, your uh, board or executive team does training every year on microaggressions and bias, et cetera. Well, maybe there's some other things that you need to work on, like the work-life harmony piece. Like, how are you going to name when you feel like one of your buddies or one of your athletes are overtraining and they need more harmony? Go play with your dog. No, you don't need that ride today. Go watch a movie. How are you going to embed that into the work? And I think what's really important too to make the connection is that unfortunately all all of us that sit in privileged identity groups fail to often recognize when something is happening in society that then affects this model. And so for example Lisa I think you know you recall back when um I think this was when the insurrection was you know brewing um, in January. And prior to that, my Black cyclist clubs and other uh, social media groups that I was a member of had already been given the heads up of, hey, don't ride at Haynes Point this week because we don't know what's going to happen, but something is going to happen, right? So as those things pop up, 
what are we doing as endurance sport communities to support those individuals to say, like, for example, Lisa, if you and I live closer and, and you lived here in the DMV area, yeah, I'd probably say, hey, I've been given a heads up that it's really not smart uh, for me to ride in Haynes Point. Well, it means a whole lot to me when you say, hey, let's have a, a let's have a, a Zwift party at my house. Come over and you can ride with me in my you know pain cave and we'll ride together at home instead. Right. What does that look like where you're protecting people that are part of your groups in such a way that's active in response to whatever's going on in the world? Because we know there's a whole lot going on in the world and we train in the midst of whatever's we train and race in the midst of whatever's going on in the world. Mm -hmm. That's such a great example. And, um, it's a, you know, it's the safety piece, right? Psychological and physical safety, but it's also this community and connection piece. And I'm just looking here and the key components of the, of this one, of the connection and community is create cultures of inclusion and belonging, cultivate trusted relationships, foster collaboration and teamwork. So the example you just gave, I feel like hits on all of those and some, right? In terms of that behavior um, and that response to that particular external scenario is exactly the kind of response that should be standardized and normal within the endurance sport community rather than the response of, oh, really? I'm sure it's going to be fine. You'll be fine, right? Which clearly is not a very educated response, but I could absolutely see that response happening. You know, if you were to say, um, to a particularly to a white rider, right? That I don't, I've been advised not to go there. So there's some critical analysis required, obviously, but it mm-hmm. feels like that's that example is just a really great one to kind of illuminate the ways in which these particular items, belonging, social support, fit with endurance sport. Right, right. Well, and you know, you know, here's the thing though. I I think, if I'm not mistaken, I've provided a a positive example of that, but let's think of a negative example of that, right? So, for example, if I came to you as a Black cyclist and I came to you as a white cyclist and said, hey, I heard something's up at Haynes Point in D.C., you know, pre-insurrection, I've -hmm. been advised not to go there, and you as someone who's not behaving as an ally says, oh, it'll be fine. Come on, we'll ride. No big deal. Like completely oblivious to the concern around it, whether anything actually did happen or not there, the idea that the the judgment would fall away because it doesn't matter whether something's really going to happen or not. It doesn't matter whether I believe something's going to happen or not. What matters is that I am prioritizing my teammate, my, you know, endurance sport, athlete mate uh their psychological safety because they would feel more comfortable riding on the trainer at home than even guessing or taking the chance that something would happen in washington dc and so i think that's the piece that is really important for me is that i have lots of folks that would get it and they would be great allies but i'm also speaking to the people who may not see the connection there it's not just saying oh i don't think it's a good idea to ride in haynes point it's the accepting the concern that the person has regardless of you legitimating it or not you don't get to legitimize Mm -hmm. someone's uh determination of safety and security it's kind of like what we've been saying lisa about um 
especially when we do trainings, safe spaces versus brave spaces. Right. We right. don't get the privilege of telling someone that they are safe. We have the burden or the, the challenge of supporting the person regardless of how they feel. Yeah. And, yeah. and I think that's the distinction. Actually, I think that is a great message for the endurance sport community, right? The endurance sport community writ large doesn't get to determine what feels safe or not for individual athletes or groups of athletes, right? That's where the centrality in here of worker voice and equity, but where like it would be athlete voice and equity matters, mm-hmm. you know, like, um, and that this kind of dismissive, um, behavior. And, you know, you see that dismissive behavior with race directors, with volunteers at races, um, with club presidents, with CEOs of organizations. And um, Mm -hmm. that's not, that isn't in line with centering athlete voice and centering equity. And um, so, yeah, the more we talk about this and the more we kind of flesh this out, I'm like, this is so, so applicable to endurance sport. Like it seemed that way initially. And now I'm like all in, right? Because mm-hmm. the way that you interact with a fellow athlete, whether that's someone on your kind of coaching group, whether that's someone in your running club, whether that's right, um, right. a volunteer at a race, whether that's you know, some other representative of the endurance sport community, there's a whole kind of constellation of ways that protection from harm, connection and community, work-life harmony, mattering at work, thinking about mattering at work being mattering in the endurance sport Mm -hmm. community, and then opportunity Mm -hmm. for growth in a sex with those interactions. So maybe maybe this is the framework that endurance sport has been waiting for, right? Maybe this is what endurance sport needs because prior to there hasn't been a guiding framework for all levels of endurance sport to integrate, right? So Mm -hmm. that they're they're all moving in the same direction, right? They all have the same ultimate, set of goals um, mm-hmm. that are articulated similarly and have, there's a common message behind it, you know? Right, right, right. Absolutely. Well, and you know, that that's the thing is, you know, when it comes to how we let this play out, again, your group, your organization, your uh, cadre of, of friends or run buddies or training buddies, all of you are able to fit underneath this umbrella, if you will. You know, I I think that all of it can fit under that umbrella. It's a matter of how you want to um, articulate it more specifically, but I think everyone fits underneath of it. And what I really appreciate it, uh, appreciate about this whole framework is that remember the original, you know, version of this is called well-being and mental health. Um, And I think what's powerful is that the endurance sport community, whether endurance sport is completely about your health, or even if it's tangentially about your physical health, it's always been a great mental health outcome um, when you participate in endurance sport, even if you didn't know it until you got into it, right? Because, you know, when I first started running, I had no clue, you know, really 
the nuances of mental health or any of that and some of the residuals that come with it. And so, you know, again, it just reminds me how I don't, I just don't see how endurance sport doesn't intersect with all of these uh, aspects of voice and equity and experience um, and elevating whatever your being is, because I, I love that the phrase is well-being, whatever your current being is, we're trying to make it better and more well than what it already is. And so it's kind of like elevating all of it at the very same time. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I just think this is a cool framework that I didn't anticipate applying to endurance sport. But now that I keep looking at it, I just, it, it's like what we say, you know, once you see it, you can't unsee it. Once you experience it, you can't yeah. detach it from um, from what we're looking at. And so I would encourage y'all. I know that we're talking on a podcast right now, but we're going to drop the link in the show notes for you to go look at the visual and all the extra that comes along with it. But I think this is a really useful tool for endurance sports. So yeah, Lisa, I think some more, uh, whether it's more podcasts and more writing or more tools will emerge from this uh, rainbow Pentagon that the Surgeon General um, has created. I don't think the Surgeon General um, thought that they would be connected to the sport, but here we are. We're Um, doing it. That's right. That's right. We're extending the model. Exactly. There you go. There you go. So Lisa, I know that, look, we never have a shortage of hell gnaws. Hell yes, a little harder to come but we never have a shortage of hell naws. Hell yeah. Hell no. And so given that, let's talk about Kava, Lisa, because I was introduced to Kava a couple of years ago. I was uh, all the way through the movies, starving, uh, wanted to meet my girlfriend because she said, hey, there's lots of restaurants around the movie theater. Why don't we stop there before we go into the movies? And I said, okay, sure. And so I stopped at Kava and it was fantastic. Well, (laughs) recently, Kava rebranded their logo and they called it sun-kissed, meaning that they have a yellow background with white letters. And Lisa, let me tell you, I have been relatively oversensitive to colors uh, when it comes to visuals. First of all, because to and through the pandemic, my vision has been failing a bit. Um, And in addition to that, I have family members who are colorblind. And they're colorblind based on different colors. I used to think it was just, you know, red and green. There are other colors that don't show up for certain people. And so when I saw this article about Kava rebranding and then getting a lot of backlash about that rebrand, I said, oh, I get it. I I have proximity to this one because this is one where, yes, I can visually see it, but it is quite challenging. So that's my hell no for today is that. Kava, I'm not quite sure what you were thinking about the yellow font or the yellow background and the white font, but it ain't working. It's not, it's not working. It's not working. Right. Lisa, did you see it? Did you see I the- did see it? I actually do. Okay. I have a cover near me, but I have not been. Um, mm. But it is, I think this is a really important hell now because we need to think about you know, for our businesses and our races, we need to think about the logo and how. Yeah visually accessible it is to people, um, you know, who are colorblind or who have, who have other 
vision differences that perhaps could impact the ways in which they can understand and view the logo. And I don't think a lot of people are thinking about colors and contrast when it comes to these sorts of things, right? Like there are web standards that exist and we know that there are hundreds of endurance sport websites that do not align yes. with or are not um, WCAG. I think it's 2.0 maybe now um, mm-hmm. compatible. Mm-hmm. And that information's out there on the, on the interwebs. Yeah. So you can find it, but people just aren't thinking of it. So that's the piece, right? Like yeah. the Carver graphic designers and then whomever approved it after that aren't even thinking about visual accessibility, right? They're like, yeah. oh, that looks nice, right? Um, to but you, yeah, to, to you, you, it looks nice. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So it's just a really great reminder that even something that you might consider quote unquote simple, like a logo has accessibility uh, issues around it. So mm, good, mm-hmm. really, really good reminder for all of us that have logos attached to our coaching or our businesses. Or oh, our yeah, yeah. Endeavors. Yeah. And Lisa, let me just interject one quick thing here too. Um, a lot of uh, folks that are listening and my friends and, and training partners and buddies and so forth know that in the past I've been on um, on the core ambassador team for uh, the last two years. I'm not going to be participating on the team in 2023, but I have friends who are that I'm fully supportive of. And so when I saw them post, congratulations to our new ambassadors, and they posted the list of the team members, first of all, congratulations, y'all. I love y'all to smithereens. But the other pieces, when I looked at the visual, the visual was damn near impossible to read. I love y'all dearly, Core Sports, but having kind of a teal background with yellow font for what, 30, 40 plus names, plus your sponsors, I don't, I, I, I just can't see right. it. Right. And I had other friends that reached out to me that asked me, hey, are you going to be on the core team this year? I saw the name Shauna and assumed it was you. Actually, there's two Shaunas. There's mine with two ends and one with one end. And so even those folks could not read the names clearly to see if I was back on the team again or not. So that's just one in the moment recent uh, situation where there were color issues where I'm just like, I can't read this. Who picked this? I can't read this. And other friends of mine who felt similarly with the yellow font. So something to think about, love you core sports. And I'm always here to support you, but the yellow does not work, um, on that green background. So we can, we can do more with that. We can do better Mm -hmm. with that. So, uh, Kava has given us a great public example of, of what to do and what not to do here. Yeah, I'm also going to add like alternative text, right? If you have an image and you don't add text, then a screen reader can't can't read it. So like, like, so then you also excluded a whole bunch of other people and um, you can add notes in Instagram underneath, but Instagram, Mm -hmm. Facebook, all those social media platforms, they all have facilities for you to add the alt text, but I don't. That's right. I mean, I, I need to do better there too, but it's, it's how you create inclusive visuals, right? Mm -hmm. Um, so switching to our hell yeah, um, many of you may have noticed on Hulu, there is an original series that's now streaming called The Hair Tales, and it is executive produced by the one and only Oprah Winfrey, Tracy Ellis Ross, who I completely love, Tracy Ellis Ross. I love her, yeah. And Michaela Angela Davis. And so the whole purpose of this series is to understand 
both societal and historic themes around Black women's hair um, and Mm -hmm. the ways in which our culture has negated uh, their hair or created uh, problematic narratives and how, um, you know, kind of like hair and beauty has always been oriented towards white women and also the white male gaze right mm-hmm. so it's um they they say it's an honest and layered look into the complex culture of black hair and ultimately black women's identity beauty cultural and social contributions and humanity so mm-hmm. this is a really important series and I'm actually like digging Hulu because they did another really important series called Aftershock that was about black women's maternal mortality that was excellent. Yes, um, yes, yes. So they are really pushing um, some important mm-hmm. topics that kind of um, that are often not talked about. So they're giving opportunities to black producers, black directors, um, and bringing mm-hmm. these stories to the mainstream. So mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to be great. I have not yet watched it, but I'm pretty psyched about it. How about you, Shauna? Well, you know what? I sent you uh, the link for this particular show. And, and when you replied back, yes, I heard about it. I can't wait to watch it. You know, this is one of those that I definitely want to watch. There's been a number of different um different movies and documentaries and so forth that have been recorded about black hair. Um, One of the first ones that I thought about when I saw this was um, good hair by Chris rock. That was many years ago. Right. You remember that? Yeah. Yeah. And so with that, um, you know, I just can't wait to watch this one in particular because, you know, I realize what comes along with black hair and the history that comes with along with black hair. And also uh, the ridiculousness of legislation around black hair, Um, the necessity of having to legislate that black hair is protected, especially in the workplace is just, right. Oh, it's ridiculous to me. Um, And remember, this is coming from me, who uh, is someone who uh, used to wear very straight and relaxed European looking long hair for a very long time until I read about um, the uh, side effects of the the chemicals that are in relaxers for black hair and how they can unfortunately um I don't want to say cause breast cancer but they can exacerbate it and I already had it in my family and so that's when I stopped using relaxers to straighten my hair I let my hair grow natural I cut it short now I wear a mohawk and me and my son look like twins all the time and I love my hair um but it took a long time to get to that point given that I've Lisa, I think if I recall correctly, I relaxed my hair from, I know I started at age 12 and I didn't stop until probably 20, I want to say 2012, 2013. So the majority of my life, I've been using chemicals on my hair. So stories like this are extremely liberating around this topic. And so I'm just super excited um, to see what other folks have to say, because we know that, that, uh, Black hair is not a monolith. And so I cannot wait to watch it. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. And I don't know how much they're going to talk about swimming, but obviously we've, we've discussed this on the podcast before, but the ways in which kind of swimming um, equipment has um, grown and involved basically centering white people and, you know, white European hair, right. It's not, it's not grown and involved to think about different hair types. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's, you know, that's another issue around that centrality of whiteness that 
you know, bleed absolutely endurance sport, right? Absolutely. Yeah. When, when uh, swim caps are created to accommodate uh, black people's hair, black people's hairstyles, black people's protective hairstyles that need to be different from the quote unquote standard, quote unquote, traditional white um, swim caps, then all of a sudden it's not a problem. It's not, it it is a problem. It's not acceptable. It's also um, banned in many cases from particular swimming venues that's when we encounter a problem with endurance sport. So when I have my friends, for example, who wear locks, um, and so they need an extra large swim cap, for example, and remember extra large is in contrast to what's quote unquote standard, which would be someone who doesn't wear locks, usually not a white person, then that's when it becomes problematic. And so, you know, for me, I'm just super excited to see how this goes. And also too, normalizing again that there's a long-standing history with black hair just really a quick aside lisa um there is a lot of um writing around how for example cornrows were uh sewn or braided into africans hair as a map even preceding the underground railroad and so when someone modern day has a problem with someone who is deemed quote unquote unprofessional because they have cornrows in their hair. Yeah, you may be measuring, you are measuring against the white standard of professionalism and you're slapping African history and black history in the face because you don't know the history of what's in their hair. That's when I get pissed off, Lisa. That's when I get pissed off. (laughs) Yeah. And I just, I just want to, amend what you said when you say quote unquote someone getting annoyed at caught people's hair white people just say it that's what it is that's who it is right exactly white folks y'all getting mad and you don't even know the history okay let us help you let us help you yeah um but yeah you're you're on it exactly and so with that there usually is some deep rooted, deep seated history in what black people are doing and you're not aware of it. So mm, be careful when you critique, whether you're, you're actually watching um, Hulu itself to watch this or, or not be careful when you critique anything in relation to anyone's culture, because there's probably, I'm sure there is history you're not aware of uh, that you're slapping in the face. So, yep. Cannot wait to watch Lisa. We're going to have to compare notes on that too. We are so excited about TryHard's new active foot care kit. Lord knows my feet need plenty of TLC after what I put them through. Included in the kit is an active foot soak, active foot exfoliating soap, and active foot pre and post workout spray. The foot soak gently cleanses and dries out blisters while relieving pain, itch, and eliminating odors. The exfoliating soap, which includes a pumice stone, prevents calluses, eases pain, and prevents the formation of bacteria causing fungus. And last but not least, the pre and post workout spray prevents blisters and irritation. Just spray it on your feet before working out. Once you're finished working out, you can also use it to disinfect and deodorize your shoes and feet. It's self-care season, so go ahead and treat yourself to some try-hard products. Use the code STAYFEISTY20 for 20% off the active foot care kit or any other products at tryhard.co. That's STAYFEISTY20 for 20% off at tryhard.co.
Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. I love the meal recommendations that come with the analysis. It prompted me to add salmon into my meal rotations and I am loving it. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty and then use the code feisty at checkout. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit. Edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at unfazedpodcast.com and find us on social media at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.